0: 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, get your money every Friday, happy ending. Darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out
1: of the This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. It's the Ides of March, guys. Oh, this week, or I mean, mid-March, we are celebrating the centenary, the 100th birthday of Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Ah, one of the great poets of the 20th century. He's the founder of San Francisco's uh, institution, City Lights, the bookstore, the publishing house. Uh, He is now, of course, a revered, Elder in the literary community, um, most of the people, most of the poets of the mid twentieth century are gone now gone not I, i'm eighty five so Lawrence was still very young. When I got here, when I got to the uh, San Francisco Bay area, I came in nineteen fifty one I was seventeen. I guess that would make feline it, it uh, would make Lawrence Fairly Getty thirty-two. Oh, 67 years ago was that anyway? As Thomas Stearns Eliot wrote, "Time and the bell have buried the day." Yes, indeed. But time, time worships language. We still read the same poets century after century, study the same poetry. (laughs) I I think it's wonderful. Everybody knows their Shakespeare. Ferlinghetti's early poems are still on my shelf. The first of his works, uh, well, the first I read, was called A Coney Island of the Mind. Mm, that was the time of Allen Ginsberg's poem, Howl, a little later in the mid-50s. Right, Howl, what an event that was that boxed the compass. Things changed overnight. Howl it was a long cry in the desert of our disillusions. It's still remembered here... Um. Uh, In the context of new times, it fits very nicely. (laughs) We have yearly readings, yes. But, of course, the times, they are a-changing and changing and changing. Uh, Let's see. I think Ferlinghetti's poem, uh, I think I read it in my school classrooms, it was called a dinner to promote the impeachment of President Eisenhower. (laughs) Oh, poor poor Eisenhower. (laughs) Looking back, he he seems angelic. Uh, Now, it was an earlier political perspective, of course, but it is not out of date. The eve of destruction were always there. When Lawrence Ferlinghetti founded City Lights Bookstore, there was a little hole in the wall, uh, used to go there and crowd the, the uh, bookshelves with uh, <laughs> little notes and presents. It it was right, right next to uh, Vesuvio's, the great Vesuvio's, uh, <laughs> outside Vesuvio's bar, there's a place in the cement where people put their names, especially if they weren't allowed ever to go in the bar again. Immortal, immortal places. Uh, I think the coffee houses, some are still there, some are definitely still there. Uh, But I think Gone Now, Hungry Eye, Purple Onion, where Phyllis Diller got her start, Black Cat, Gay Bar, that was a wonderful place. Uh, (laughs) They would all hold hands at the end of the evening and sing... God bless us Nellie queens. Over here in the East Bay, we had Cody's Bookstore, a uh, little more formal, but uh, across the street was the Café Mediterranean that was home for so many of us uh, in the 60s. Uh, it became a meeting place for the local literati, uh, It was also, well, just a hangout for all the free thinkers, let's put it that way. Uh, The free speech movement grew, uh, the uh, political upheavals. Uh, I always date the big ones. Well, 1968, I believe that's the summer of love, so that would be the one to date it. But I just want to remind everybody that The birth of the great counterculture of that time grew out of the beat culture of the 1950s. Oh, we were so quiet. Just listened to jazz. Liquor, of course, was was replaced by marijuana in the 60s, and pot, I think, was much healthier. We all know that, I remember. (laughs) A couple of. Boyfriends, telling me how grateful they were that I got them off the booze and on to pot. Anyway, I would have to state that alcohol was one of the serious problems, not just in the 50s, but all the earlier years of the 20th century by God forever. Destruction of individuals, of families, Alcohol abuse was the tragedy of the working classes, and I, I don't know. It's still still pretty high on my list of uh, poisons. Anyway, it goes all the way back. <laughs> I think yes, maybe it goes back to Rome. But anyway, psychedelic drugs gave us a, a way, a path to stopping all that drinking and just dreaming, dreaming. Somehow, the beat culture of the 1950s made it possible to be honest. I think that's true, to say truth, truth. Uh, there was a book titled The Holy Barbarians, Lawrence Lipton, I think. Anyway, some of my friends and acquaintances are in that book some of their children <laughs> have bumped into my children and uh, history has happened. Let me see now. For me, there was still a lot of conventional behavior going on. I mean, we still got married and stuff. Uh, I came out of the arty world of, oh, well, I was in five different high schools all over the map. But the arty world of Laguna Beach was where I sprang from to come up here in 51. Uh, <laughs> I I was uh, an undergrad at Mills College. I got my B.A. there in 1955. Mills College in Oakland is a woman's college. My, I think my father thought it was a convent. Anyway, he enrolled me, and there I was. No Pasadena Playhouse. Oh, never mind. I digress. <laughs> I digress. Uh, Yes, what was changing then uh, was changing everything. And uh, suffice it to say, I never went back to the Pasadena Playhouse. I I got to Manhattan for a while thinking I could be a great lady on the stage, but uh, (laughs) I got married instead. Anyway, I remember at some point trying to think of the date. Must have been late 50s. We, we were hit between the eyes by Samuel Beckett's play, Waiting for Godot. Now, that that made me understand that the plays, the theater, and the films, too, all of that was going to change. No more of the old conventional, uh, what do you call that, uh, beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> no, no. The first production that I saw of Waiting for Godot Was over. It was at the Marines Memorial, I think, and uh, we came out of the theater and we were in shock. So long, Hollywood, farewell. And of course, over at Mills College, I, I, had access to history. I understood that the history of the arts includes the history of literature of dramatic literature. I don't think they have courses in that anymore. I doubt it. Uh, I remember reading all the plays for each and every year in the library. There was a magazine called Theater Arts. Every month there was a new play on Broadway. Read that new play to find out what was happening. I think if we look back, you can see why each uh, era had different uh, media, different playwrights. I mean, why did uh, Henrik Ibsen write about women's lives in 1890s, 1890s? He also wrote a wonderful play called Enemy of the People about the destruction of the environment. How about that? Arthur Miller rewrote that, Enemy of the People. We did it here in Berkeley at a place called the Berkeley Drama Guild uh, go back all the way all the way back to Euripides he wrote feminist plays in ancient Greece I think it might have had something to do with the oppression of women there had recently been an invasion of a little island called Milos and uh, it pretty much wiped out the whole place and enslaved the women and Euripides uh, saw that and wrote the tragedy, Trojan Women. Uh, I just loved that play when I did it over over at Mills College. Yes, my uh, someday-to-be-children's father played one of the Greek soldiers who, who threw my child Astyanax off the walls of Troy. Pretty nice introduction to the guy. Anyway... Uh, I think we know that women have become the spoils of war finally, just finally. Uh, rape has been classified as a war crime, or at least a hate crime, but a war crime certainly. Uh, in my own era, uh, in my, my own century, things have come to the point where we have access to damn near everything, certainly to all the arts all knowledge in fact wisdom of course is an entirely different different story <laughs> that's that's another another story indeed indeed how to put all the things together instead of saying thus and thus and thus and, thus, and making lists we have to study and read thus and thus Therefore, we have to think twice. Radical writers uh, are plenty. We've got those. What we must need is their audience, radical readers. That's the tough one. Uh, We know that young people are being damaged, terribly committing suicide because of what they read on them. On the net, they haven't had a chance to interpret uh, our schools, our education, and our educators. They have to teach uh, young people how to think, how to discriminate. You know, discriminate is a bad word now. Uh, people always say, "Don't, don't critique the movie for me. I want to enjoy it." And I said, "Well, I, I thought." I thought that was my job, to help you look for ways to enjoy your, enter- your wisdom, your entertainment, uh, how to tell <laughs> one story from another and how to uh, work on these structured belief systems until they make sense. We need to unpack ideas, to edit our thoughts and sort out the facts from opinions. There's a wonderful woman. She was Harriet Martineau. She wrote letters to Charlotte Bronte and she said she had come to America. This would have been in the late, uh, well, no, the middle, the middle of the uh, 19th century, Harriet. She wrote, I found the religion of America. It is the religion of opinion. <laughs> I think I think our critical faculty uh, is pretty much pretty much faded. Uh it's certainly not part of the humanities. Uh I remember courses in literally critical writing, critical reading is supposed to teach you how to understand what's on the page, what's in all the media, you know. Now, images, doesn't matter whether they're pictures or words, all the images need, uh, what do you call that, handlers, translators. Uh, school is certainly uh, supposed to be uh, a place to teach us to think. That's what the liberal arts were all about. Today, college or school... Seems to be the way to jobs or to money. That's what it's about. You get the degrees and then you get the job. Well, okay, that's part of it, I'm sure. Uh, but my story I, I was purged from the public schools uh, in the 70s, and my story uh, kind of hit the wall when they took away my classroom. I meant to live there, heart and soul, for the rest of my life. No deal. (laughs) Call me Dud, they called me. I I came to KPFA in the 1980s, would you believe. First time I came on KPFA was to talk about uh, FGM, female genital mutilation, Let's not go there today. That's such a terrible, terrible subject. Uh, I remember getting on the air. Padraigine McGillicuddy, one of our great stars of the past, the Irish harp, they called her. Padraigine McGillicuddy invited me to come on Cape KPFA and talk about a woman. uh, uh, She was an expat. She was... Being kicked out of uh, Egypt, she was a communist, yes, but she had wrote a book called "The Hidden Face of Eve that talked about women in the Muslim world, and uh, she couldn't go back, she certainly couldn't go back home, but uh, that was the first book that I read on the subject. Once again, uh, it was what I would call a feminist bomb. I guess I called myself at that point a culture critic. That sounds pretty grandiose, but uh, I think uh, it's, not, it's not so terrible. It's not like a public intellectual or something. A culture critic just looks around, looks around, and check out the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. Uh, figure out not what we know and, but so much as the uses of that knowledge. You know, what's happening as a result of these new new waves of information? Uh, we know that the World Wide Web is a kind of miracle, I grant you. Uh, couldn't be more uh, stunning to have all that information at your fingertips. I used to have to go to the library to find it. Anyway, the... Uh, TV, I remember. Yes, when it first came up. The movies in your living room. Orson Welles had said that the movies and television could educate the world. Gore Vidal said the same. He said if anyone gets a liberal education, they will get it from television. Uh, All media. Ever since Gutenberg... Gutenberg's printing press, we're all Gutenberg's babies, all of us. But you remember what happened when they published the Bible, you know, uh, multiple copies. (laughs) All hell broke loose. Uh, It was in languages that the people could read. Before that, they had always had to have uh, the sort of translators who told them what was in the Bible, or they spoke Latin and nobody understood it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, uh, I think the beginning of, uh, what would we call it? it, was not just propaganda, it was a whole belief system. You captured the media, and then you captured the minds of your generation. Propaganda. <laughs> James Thurber always called it a proper gander," he said. "That's what people thought they were hearing when they heard the word propaganda. They heard a propagander and they went on to talk about the goose anyway. You have to ask yourself, what are they selling? What's the thing, the economic force behind whatever the show is or the story?" What's it teaching you to do and like the visual images the same? Just imagine what our uh what our videos are doing all around the world. Incredible wealth that people imagine is here in the land of streets of gold uh, anyway, I keep thinking of my task here on these airwaves uh, is to blow a little air into this stuff. I've been in the hospital, actually, for uh, months now, months now, and I thought I'd really get a chance to think it all through, whether or not this, uh, the net, the World Wide Web, is going to make us wiser, uh, (laughs) you know, at least, at least wiser women and better men, uh, I thought I should review all my reasons, reasons for being here on the air. Uh, if I am a culture critic, if I am following the zeitgeist or the spirit of our age, what what will we do with it? Who needs to know? Who's listening? Uh, will what I have to say Anything to get rid of d j Trump, if I can uh, study, read, dissect why so many people, especially young people uh, don't quite understand why these so-called deplorables voted for a sociopath uh i guess i I'm at a loss to really quite understand why the man who, well, the person who is to lead the most powerful nation in the history, in the history of the world, why he appealed to or got the votes of enough people to get the job. Of course, he didn't get the vote. He was not the uh, winner of the popular vote. Uh, Now, being confined now for almost six months to the hospital or to my bed, locked down as it were, yes, Kaiser Hospital is a fascinating place to become philosophical anyway. I just kept thinking that there must be something i could I could uh, learn. I think of all the people who go to prison and become uh, great thinkers because They're locked down, Uh, oh, for all these months. I've had nothing to do but think. At some point, my idea of a night on the town became a cheeseburger at Carl's Jr. Oh, I did get onion rings, but all that confinement simply didn't help me to understand why In my own country, this has happened. Uh, Looking back, there was um, Jack Kennedy, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, one of the presidents of my youth. Uh, He said, don't look so much at what we are, but at what we are trying to become. Imagine... D.J. Trump talking that way. Okay. I think I have to grant that there are still many, many, many new voices, exciting forces. Got your culture of compassion and your culture of uh, cruelty. Ms. Ortez in in the Congress, oh, she could only run for president. She's too young. Anyway, this Green New Deal. I put all my hopes in that. The Green New Deal. Dear old uh, Bernie Sanders watching him on television. He has such hopes. Uh, actually, I look around and over my shoulder I still see a fact-free fascism creeping up. Uh, I think we have to count the numbers when it comes to elections. Trying to do away with the electoral college—good idea. But I—I just—I give it fascism nine, feminism seven. Even if our elections are being stolen, uh, I think I think we can count on a uh, what is it? A new a new revolution, a new revival soon. I shudder, though, looking back, think of the election of Al Gore. Al Gore in 2000, I mean, he got the popular vote, but the Supreme Court decided not to put him in the White House. Some forces were at work there. Now, if Hillary Clinton won the popular vote... In this past presidential election, can we hope that there's something, something brewing? Something's happening here, as the song goes. I think the, what is it, explosion, the miracle of Barack Obama was... uh, part of that. I remember that Jimmy Carter came after Nixon always. We get a a sane or almost sane person for a while but Barack Obama, of course, was blocked for most of his eight years. Dead set against him. Never mind. Critical thinking.
0: That's the word.
1: Check it out. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next week, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.
0: take you back to 1979. January, the fall of Phnom Penh and the Shah leaves Iran. A march, Three Mile Island. July, Amastasio Somoza flees Nicaragua, the Sandinistas take over. November, the U.S. Embassy in Tehran is seized. In December, the Soviets invade Afghanistan. And on March the 2nd of 1979, a movie is released, which receives four Academy Award nominations, including Best Actress for Sally Field, who portrays the title character Norma Ray celebration of labor organizing and the triumph of the spirit KPFA is going to be sponsoring a showing of Norma Rae on Saturday, March the 23rd 3 p.m. at the New Parkway Theater and there's going to be a post-movie discussion which I'm going to lead and for more information you can visit kpfa.org or thenewparkway.com I'm Chris Welch, hope to see you there Saturday the 23rd of March 3 p.m. the New Parkway Theater for Norma Rae And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR.